step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. All right, what's up, YouTube? I'm Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And today I want to do a teaching called The Spirit of Gluttony. The Spirit of Gluttony. Now, I know that when you hear of gluttony, you think in most cases concerning food, you know, or too much food. But we're going to find out today. Hey, Brother Jake, happy birthday, man. We're going to find out today that, you know, gluttony itself goes beyond food that this spirit of gluttony can go a long ways. I remember, you know, when I was young, starting out in Christ, and I remember times, hey, Sister Tara, I remember times that I used to fast, and I remember being young and recognizing why when I'm fasting does it seem like even the appetite for sexual sin will go away from me? And then I would remember after going off of my fast and going back to eating, if I would eat too much, it seemed like the desire for sexual sin would come back on me or desire, you know, to uh, pick up in me. And I remember putting two and two together saying that the spirit of gluttony, you know, it has many links that it's connected to a lot of things like a lot of what we indulge in and what we desire that's in the flesh also has a lot to do with, um, you know, everything that the flesh enjoys and desires. So, you know, it's just really interesting how we're going to find today that this spirit of gluttony goes a long way. This spirit of gluttony is not just about food. It's about so many different things that you and I can indulge in, that we can get into more than what God wants. And in doing so, it's weighing us down. It's hurting people. You know, it's destroying a lot of people that are in the body of Christ because we don't live lives of self-denial, which is what the Lord talks about. You know, it can be anything from playing too many video games to being drunk, to being on drugs. I mean, just eating too much. And I want people to understand that this is a literal spirit. This is a spirit. It's a demon, the spirit of gluttony. Why? Because I'm going to give you an example here. A lot of people think that um, gluttony itself is greed. Well, I found something that actually explains the difference between gluttony and greed. Now, if you look at greed, it says greed, um, it's called avaritita or avaritia. And then it says, um, also known as avaris, is simply insufficient generosity. So greed is really in many cases labeled as, hey, Sister Sarah, it's labeled as insufficient generosity. That can be um, determined with greed. But then it says, whereas gluttony is a failure of self-control, greed is a failure of foresight or consideration or is a result of a compulsion 
uh, to collect or acquire things or a misplaced sense of competitiveness uh, with others, although it shades into envy. So as you can see, greed is something where I just want it, you know, because, and it can mean a failure to um, have a consciousness of that which is around you. Like for example, it could be someone that was sitting around that ordered a pizza and he lives in a house where there's four people, but this guy would order a pizza, not even worry about if anybody else had eaten and he would just eat six slices to himself. The other three people walk in and they're like, man, you know, I thought we were gonna do dinner together. You see, that's a sense of greed. But gluttony, when it talks about a failure of self-control means that you would buy a pizza for four, but after smelling the aroma of it and seeing the pizza there, that you would just say to yourself, um, I know I bought it for everybody, but I've got to eat, you know, all right, I'll eat two. Then you find yourself eating four and then six. Then the person, the people, the other three come in and say, hey, you know, I thought we were having pizza tonight. Oh man, I just couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, I was hungry. I didn't, you know, that's what you would call gluttony because of the fact that it's without control, that you have no temperance, no self-control to deal with it. When you see it, you want it and nothing can stop you from having it. That's gluttony. Gluttony can be even when you're put on a fast by the Lord. And I've been guilty of this in my life where, you know, I was told to fast for a certain period of time. And then there were, you know, in many cases I did, and there were some, you know, and I remember that I failed the Lord, you know, because I saw, I knew what was in the fridge. I knew what I wanted to eat. I had already fasted for two days, Lord, you know, forgive me, but I'm just gonna go and eat. I'm sure two days are enough. That could be a kind of gluttony because of the fact that you can't obey God with what he's called you to do. Now we know two days without eating is not gonna starve anybody to death. But you see, if you don't have that type of self-control, then gluttony takes over you. You know, gluttony is, you know, like I said, we're gonna get into a whole lot of it, but here's the definition of gluttony. This is a Webster's dictionary. This isn't um, the Bible, even though we're gonna get into that as well. It says it's habitual greed or excess in eating, synonyms, greed, greediness, overeating, overconsumption, binge eating, uh, gourmandism, and then it says gourmandizing, gluttonous, uh, vor voraciousness, uh, veracity, wolfishness, instability, informal piggishness or hoggishness. Now, you know, it's kind of like being a glutton, being a pig, being greedy, going after more than you need. You know, this is what you call living in, in, in excess. And a lot of people are doing that today. And you're even gonna find that Jesus Christ himself even warned against it. Uh, who is that, Tatiana Hawkins? Um, hey, welcome, you know, but there's the thing is, um, you know, uh, she asked for the proper portions of eating. You know, honestly, it's not really a rule to it. I think it's more determined with what the spirit leads you to do. You know when you're eating too much. You know, it's it's what the spirit may lead you to because the spirit of God may tell you that he wants you to fast. He doesn't want you to eat before 12. It's really obedience of the spirit. But when you can't obey the spirit of God, it's because your flesh is too strong. 
And that's what prohibits you from doing things. There are times I eat three meals a day. There's times I'll eat one today in accordance to what the spirit tells me to do. If the spirit tells me he doesn't want me to eat before 6 p.m., then I'm not gonna eat before 6 p.m. You know, it's just, that's the way it goes. So, but you know when you're overeating and overeating or overindulgence has a lot to do with failure to obey the spirit of God. When God wants you to pray, and it seems like, you know, prayer is just such a, a long and hard task. I don't really feel like it, but you got no problem sitting at the table eating for two to three hours. So hopefully that answers your question. You know, when God tells you he wants you to read his word and there you are watching six hours of TV, you see that's overindulgent. So it's not just food, it's how much we give the flesh that keeps us from obeying God. You know that there's gotta be something wrong when you know that the Bible is God's word. When you know that prayer links you closer to God, you know that fasting subdues the flesh and, and makes you stronger in the spirit so that you can connect with God. You know there's something wrong when that becomes a hard task that we have difficulty doing. And then, you know, when it comes to TV, I can watch TV all day. I can eat all day. I can fornicate all day. I can drink all day. I've got no problem doing those things, but I can't do the things that God wants. That means that there is overindulgence. That means that there's a very strong flesh that you have that fights against the will of God. So the Bible tells us that our flesh has to be brought under subjection. It's got to be made to do the things that God wants. Jesus says that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So the flesh has to learn to become, you know, trained to do what the spirit calls it to do. So hopefully that answered your question. So as you can see, we're gonna talk about the spirit of gluttony tonight. We're gonna to touch on many different subjects concerning this, how detrimental and dangerous it is to a Christian's life. Because, you know, whenever we prefer a piece of chocolate cake, you know, away from serving God, then we know that something isn't right with us. You're welcome, sister. So let's pray and let's get right into this lesson. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for another day not promised to us. And we ask, Lord, that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions, transgressions, and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time that you've given me with my brothers and sisters that we have yet another day to be partakers in your word, to be edified by your spirit, Lord, to do the things that are righteous in your eyes that we may choose life and not death. And I pray today, Lord, that I invite the Holy Spirit the spirit of teaching, the spirit of truth, the spirit of comfort, Lord, in all righteousness, that you may teach this lesson, Lord, that you may saturate us with your anointing, that people may understand what your desire is for them. And I pray that no man's heart be heard, Lord, that no flesh be glorified, for our confidence, Lord, is in the spirit, not in the flesh. So we just pray, Lord, that you teach this lesson, that you open the eyes, the ears, the hearts, and the minds, of those who don't understand that they may choose you and desire you. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, and all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, all gluttonous spirits, 
all satanic and self-indulging and self-loving spirits in Jesus' name. I pray that you bind the devil, that you keep him at bay, that you set the captives free, Lord, that they may have you and may be full of you because Jesus Christ in us is the hope of glory. For you are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You are faithful, just and true and worthy of all praises. We pray and we ask, Lord, that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so let's get right into this lesson. You know, let's go to uh, where it all began, because if we are led by our flesh, then we cannot obey God's spirit. So let's go to Proverbs 23. I wanna make a couple of points there. And then from there, we're going to uh, get right into the lesson. But let's look at Proverbs 23 first. And as I encourage so many brothers and sisters, have your Bibles out in front of you, okay? Because I'm not here to entertain. I want people to know the word of God that they may choose the Lord Jesus Christ, all right? This word is no good to us if we don't know it, don't know what it says, and we're not able to learn in it and teach it. So it's important that we have our Bibles out in front. Perhaps I may make a mistake, which I wouldn't mind any brother or sister of the Lord telling me that, hey, you know, you said that wrong or that actually meant this. OK, that's helpful to me. And in the body of Christ, we are all supposed to be iron sharpening iron. OK, we're supposed to get get each other prepared for the work that God has called us to do. So let's look at Proverbs 23 and let's begin at verse one. Proverbs 23 and one. You know that Proverbs is the book of wisdom. And he says, when thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. So what he's saying is when you're sitting with this ruler, Consider what's before you. Don't feel good that you're in the high chair with somebody important or special. Pay attention to what you're seeing, okay? And then he says, and put a knife to thy throat if thou be a man given to appetite. Why is that? Because you see, appetite, if it rules our lives, then it pushes us away from the will of God. So it's important that we have our appetites in subjection to what God wants. All right, if God tells you, as I used examples tonight, I don't want you to eat you know, until a certain period of time. Why don't you fast? Why don't you pray and spend time with me? It's almost impossible to serve God when you are a man or woman given over to appetite because if your appetite is fleshly, you can't walk in the spirit. You can't even hear God nor obey what he wants. So it's just as good as killing yourself if you can be pulled away from the will of God by your appetite. Look at verse three. Be not desirous of his dainties, for they are deceitful meat. Now, a lot of people think, you know, because they've eaten at someone's house or that someone has given them something that that's a good brother or sister in the Lord. But you got to see the heart behind what is. Just because someone's inviting you to be there doesn't mean you're supposed to. Okay, because this is how the devil snares many of us in the world today, how we end up flocking to the desires and the cares of this world is because it looks good, it feels good, it tastes good. But you see, everything that looks, feels, or tastes good doesn't mean that it's necessarily 
good for you. So it says in verse four, labor not to be rich, cease from thine own wisdom. So does this mean that you can't be rich? No, this means that you shouldn't desire to be rich because as a Christian, our richness is in Jesus Christ, okay? That's where it all needs to be based on. He is the true treasure, but it says that to cease from your own wisdom, because there are a lot of things, guys, before we got saved that we thought were really important. We thought that they were gonna be, you know, how we planned out our lives and how things were going to be. But as we grow and as we drew closer to the Lord, as we had grown more conscious of God and spirit, you see a lot of those silly desires go away. A lot of those fantasies that we dreamed and went after, we don't want anymore. You know why? They're not of God. And as we're becoming more like him, we cease from our own wisdom. Lord, I know at one point I thought that was a good thing, but you know what? That's a foolish thing, Lord. So I'm gonna rely on your wisdom to have your will done. Look at verse five, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. So what you also see here is you can't trust in riches. You can't trust in your money. You can't trust in all your worldly accomplishments and the things that you have, why? Because he says here that they themselves have wings. Come on guys, we know what it is to have a lot of money and we know what it is to have no money. Nothing stays the same. Everything has its season. Even Donald Trump has taken out, I don't know how many, you know, uh, what do you call it? What are those things that he does every now and then? Bankruptcies, you know, he's gone through that, okay? Nobody can stay at the top and have what they want forever unless they're using other people to have their agenda met, okay? The rich of this world, would have gone poor a long time ago if it wasn't for the masses that keep them rich through man hours and the things that we do ignorantly for them so that they could stay afloat. But anyway, the point here is you can't trust in riches. You can't trust in anything in this temporal life because it's here today, gone tomorrow. It's just like when you decide to eat, I'll tell you some of the tricks of the devil. When God wants you to fast, and you could have, at that point, the devil really trying to pull you to eat. You seem like you get seriously hungry when you're fasting. Why? Because there are forces at work, demonic powers, that want you to disobey God. Their assignment is to keep you, you know, indulging and, and overeating and, you know, being sluggish and caring about the world that will keep you from obeying what God wants. But there were times in my life where I had given into that voice. And I remember the feeling of shame that I would have afterwards that I sat there and ate. And you know what, while I ate, the food didn't even taste that good to me because I knew I disobeyed God. But after you ate that, now that you're feeling like a pig, now that you're feeling like a caveman that couldn't hear what God says, now it's like the devil will rub in your face, you failed God. So you see, you've got to get to that place of trusting God and obeying him and believing in him because if you put your trust in the things of the here and now, they don't sustain you. Only God does. Look at verse six, eat thou not the bread of him that hath an evil eye, neither desire thou his dainty meats. Now, dainty meats are not just foods, guys. This can be anything that the enemy offers you. A lot of people in Hollywood have given their souls over to the devil 
because of the fact that they wanted to be rich, because they, they sat with those who had evil eyes. They began to desire the things of the rich. And that's why the Bible tells us that evil communications corrupt good manners. But a lot of people have given themselves over to the world and to the cares of this life because of the fact that their appetites are what control them, not the righteousness of God. And it says in verse seven, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. So the Lord wants us to understand our enemy. God's people cannot be bought. God's people are not given over to appetite. God's people deal with what God wants them to know. I'll give you an example of this. If you go to Luke chapter four, Jesus fasted for 40 days. And while he was there in the wilderness, the devil offered him bread. He said, command these stones that they be made bread if you're the son of God. And Jesus said that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So that made it very clear there that Jesus valued the word of God more than his empty stomach. But you see how if he didn't, the devil could have snared him. Then the devil took him to the, all the kingdoms of the world and showed him in a moment in time and said, these will I give to you if thou will bow down and serve me. Jesus said to him, I serve the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. So as you can see, one of the devil's most famous tricks and what he does is to try and tempt and buy the people of God. See, Jesus didn't take that deal, but there were many people in this life that did. A lot of people have said, yeah, I call myself a Christian, but I'm going to try and live high on the hog and indulge in all that I can and still call myself a child of God, where Jesus Christ himself preaches a life of self-denial. Now, what that may look like for you and look like for me may be two different things. A life of self-denial, you can be rich and be a Christian, but you're gonna use those riches to do what God says. So you see, the Bible preaches self-denial, but the world preaches overindulgence. So Jesus said it is written, he valued the words of God far more important than anything he could have in his stomach, okay? Because let's just say that Jesus was given over to his flesh and his hunger, you and I would have had no savior. You know why? Because the devil would have been Jesus as God if Jesus would have obeyed him. So that's how important it is to obey God and not be given over to the flesh, to the desires of the flesh, because the desires of the flesh will not lead you closer to God. They will lead you further and further away from God, okay? So I just wanna um, make another quick point for the sake of time. Guys, let's go to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, and let's look at verse one. Let's go back to the beginning to see exactly what played out and what's still going on today. That's why it's so important that we die out to self and we allow Jesus Christ to live in us and work through us. Because if not, the devil also has a plan for your life and that life is to care for you and to forget about everybody else. That's why self-love is so dangerous. That's why times have become so perilous is because people don't care about their neighbor. They don't care about their families. They don't care about their friends. They don't care about their unsaved loved ones. They don't care about those that are in the world that actually need the Lord. 
All they think about is what makes them feel good. And when you're that type of Christian, you cannot serve the Lord. So let's look at Genesis three. Let's look at verse one. Genesis three and one, look at verse one. He says, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, yea, have God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. The serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. So one thing that the devil did outright was to get Adam or to get Eve, one, to say that God's word was not true. The second phase of attack was he enticed her to something that she would want. So he says, for God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as God's knowing good and evil. So can you imagine to a person that only knows what God tells them to do, that this serpent said, you won't die if you eat. You can eat the fruit, but then he also tells them that if they were to, you know, God, the only reason God's telling you not to do this, because God knows that you can become your own God and you will know good and evil. Can you imagine that lie being told to the first two people on this earth, that if they would just go ahead and, and eat it, that they would be like their creator. You see, this is why the new age is so popular today, because this is the type of lie that's being pushed. A Christian's life is supposed to be humble and obedient before God so that God can direct it. But you got the new age doctrine today telling people that, you know what? I've learned through my own understanding and through my own consciousness that I am God. And you see, that's enticing and appealing to the flesh because instead of serving a God that you can be your own. This is the same lie that the devil is pushing today. And that's why it's so difficult to pull people from that new age doctrine because the new age doctrine is all about appeasing the flesh. What do you find also in prosperity doctrine today? It's all about appeasing the flesh. Prosperity doctrine will never tell you anything that you won't want in the flesh. Neither will the new age. They will both push you up to the place of feeling like, man, I don't have to change a thing. I can serve God, love as many gods as I want, have as many flavors as I like, and somehow I'm going to be godly. But you see, when you walk in the spirit, serving and wanting and desiring God, that you're going to go according to his will. So look, the woman bought into his lie. He told her that she would be as God. And then it says, so she had to ponder upon what the devil told her. And it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, she looked with her eyes. And then it says, and um, that it was pleasant to the eyes. So not only did it look good for food, but man, my eyes are pleasuring and desiring this. And then it says, and to be, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. I believe that the pride of life is what sold the deal. Yes, the tree was good for food. 
Yes, it was pleasing to the eyes, a nice red ripe apple or whatever it was that they ate. Whatever the devil sold them on, because I believe he was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and he sold them on his doctrine. That sounds much more pleasing to the flesh. Then it says, a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's what sealed the deal. I can be like God. And that's what made her look at it, desire it. And what did she do? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her. And he did eat. So as you can see, if she had never gotten into the dialogue of the serpent, if she had never believed the lie, she never would have gone and looked at the fruit. See, the devil got her to pay attention to it. So once she looked at the fruit, then she desired it. And then she said, man, this would be good for food. And it definitely is very ripe and tasty looking. And then it became a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's what made her take the fruit. That is the three ways that the devil attacks you and I today with the uh, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. There is no other way that the devil can attack and entice except through these. The lust of the eyes, it looks good. The lust of the flesh, it sure will taste good. And the pride of life, why don't I just go ahead and do it? After all, I can be my own God and make my own decisions. This is where we've got to be careful. Let's go to First uh, John chapter two, that's at the back of your Bible. And let's look at verse 15. Hey, brother and Heather, I mean, brother uh, Gary and sister Heather, how are you guys? Yes, they are, brother. That's a great point. They're using transhumanism to try and tell people that they will also be like God. That's why the devil is pushing all these movies with the Avengers and Spider-Man and Wonder Woman and Superman. What is the devil trying to do? Give you an evil imagination that God's creation is not good enough so that you can desire to be a God yourself. This is exactly the way that the devil entices us. So we're going to go on with gluttony, guys, because you see, gluttony is not just food. Gluttony is also a spirit of self-indulgence. It's a spirit of self-love, okay, and self-care. That's why you got people that will be in the gym working out as hard as they can work out. And when they get done, they're, you know, looking in the mirror and, you know, trying to see where they're, you know, that's all self-love. So a lot of people are working out not just to be healthy, but they're doing it to be seen of others. Even as ministers, I'm speaking to ministers out there, you gotta be real careful where you take that camera. You know why? Because you might be doing it in the beginning to show people what you do out there in the street to encourage other people. But you see, here's the other problem. Jesus says that there are men that way that do these things to be desired and seen of men. Do we go out on the street and preach? Absolutely. Do we evangelize and feed the homeless? Absolutely. Do we bring a camera out there so that people can see? Absolutely not. Because what we ought to do is to be done before God and not before man. When you get to a place of glorying in man, you're going to start taking that camera wherever you go. And that's going to bring you some trouble. Because you see, you got to really check your heart. Am I doing this? for the will and righteousness of God, 
or am I creating my own reality show to be glorified of men? We've got to guard the heart. The Bible tells us to guard our hearts with all diligence because out of it flows the issues of life. The Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17 and nine. So we've got to get to the place of having our hearts right because a lot of cases you'll see politicians out there feeding homeless, doing things, but they're not doing it because they love the homeless. They're, they're benevolent, you know, uh, benefactors, you know, benevolent benefactors where they, you know, all right, you got the camera, you got the news there. See, guys, I'm a man of God. See, I'm giving this person some water or whatever like that. And then I'm looking, you know, see, I want you guys to all see that I love my neighbor. No, man, that stinks in the nostrils of God. So if anybody's doing it sincerely, sincerely, then fine. But if you're doing it to be seen of others, man, you've got to watch that heart because the devil can get in there and make a glutton out of you. And what do you become a glutton of? A glutton star for attention. Taking millions of selfies, wanting to be seen, wanting to get compliments. And that is self-indulgence. And that's the type of thing we got to look out for. All right, Sister Tatiana says, uh, Satan pushes the Jezebel spirit on people. Amen. God's kingdom, God's men and women. Amen. Satan's kingdom, women, men, and um, children. Absolutely. You'll even find in Satan's kingdom that he will push the women, I mean, the children above the men. All right, so let's look at uh, 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 15. But you've got to guard your heart. That's all I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with making videos to edify others. But be careful, man, because the devil can take something like that and say, yeah, you see, he can build self-righteousness from it. He can have you preaching, yeah, I'm doing this, but you see, nobody else is doing it. So that's me being special before God. And then you call yourself somebody that's humble before God. See, God knows the heart. So we've got to learn to play it straight with him because he knows every single one of us and not one of us is better than another. Our righteousness is in Christ. So he says, this is 1 John 2, look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So let's not pretend that this verse doesn't say anything or says anything different than what you have just read. He says, do not love the world neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Does this mean we shouldn't love God's creation? No, that word for love, for world is the word cosmos. Now look at this. This is G2889. And that is an apt and harmonious arrangement or constitution or order of government. It says ornament, decoration, adornment, the arrangement of the stars and the heavenly host as the ornament of the heavens, the world, the universe, the circle of the earth, the earth, the inhabitants of the earth, men and human family, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. So what we're looking at here is the cosmos is the fashion, the trends of the world the rules that they have that go against being Christian, okay? These are the things we shouldn't love. 
and neither the things that are in the world. So look at what it says next. It says um, hostile towards Christ. Then it says world affairs, the aggregate of things earthly, the whole circle of earthly goods, endowments, riches, uh, advantages, pleasures, etc., which although hollow and frail and fleeting, stir desire, seduce from God, and are obstacles to the cause of Christ. So he said these things are frail and fleeting. Just how we were just reading in Proverbs that you don't put your trust in riches because riches go away. But you see, when you indulge in these things, when you love these things, when you love Hollywood, when you love the, the music of this world, when you love the style and the fashion trends, even though God tells you to dress one way and you go and try and design yourself or fix yourself up another way that is contrary to what the Bible says, this is the care or the love for the cosmos. This is the love for the world and the way that the world sees it. When it talks about the ungodly multitude, the way that they go and do things, if it's contrary to God, don't love those things. Stay in line with what God wants. But there's too many messages being preached today that in order for the church to reach the masses, that the church has got to become like the world. And that is a lie from the pits of hell. Because if you become like the world, you'll also be bound and chained and you'll see the world through the eyes of the world. How can you set anybody free? This is why we've got a watered down, sugared down gospel that won't offend anyone because these people themselves love the world. You know preaching the real gospel is not a popular doctrine. You know that nobody's gonna flock to that. People are not gonna give you money if you're preaching that. So you know that the gospel concerning the flesh is unpopular. The gospel itself repels the flesh. When you're in the flesh, the gospel is offensive. You can't stomach it. You don't want to be around it. You know why? Because flesh and spirit don't run together. So he tells them once again in verse 15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So you are not like God if you love the world. Let's make that clear. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So you must understand that these are the three ways, as we talked about, that the devil attacked. The devil attacked Jesus this way in the wilderness, and he conquered it. The devil attacked Adam and Eve in this way and they were conquered. Why? Because they took their eyes off of the will and the desire of God. The devil turned Eve's heart away from the Lord. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So you got to be careful what the eye sees and what the ear hears. You got to be careful with the company that you keep, because you see the eyes are the windows to the soul. And what your eyes fasten themselves upon you can end up being infiltrated by those things that are not of God. And it's the same thing with food, guys. I promise you, we're gonna get there, but we first gotta understand how gluttony comes to pass. The devil has got to turn you onto something that he thinks that you want is pleasurable, but you've got to desire what God wants. Is this what he wants or is it not? That's the main thing that we need to pay attention to that will keep you and I safe. 
Now, why did he tell us this? Look at verse 17. And the world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now, if you guys remember, Adam and Eve were not subject to death. They were to be immortal and to live with God. It's when they sinned, it's when their hearts and their will turned from the desires of God that they became subject to death. So as you can see, you and I now have to deal with death because our forefathers gave in to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Hey, if the devil's been doing this forever, if it's not broke, then don't fix it. He's doing this same attack from generation to generation. Why can't the church go out and evangelize? Why can't the church, the church tell people about Christ? Why can't the church stand for Jesus Christ in the workplace? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. If I lose my job, what shame will come upon me? If I stand for Jesus Christ, I may lose all my friends and have none in the workplace. I may get fired and not have a job and then what will come of my life? You see how those play in? But as a Christian, if we call ourselves servants of Jesus Christ, we should be able to minister and preach wherever we are. I'm not talking about just jump out with a bullhorn and tell people about Christ. If you're serious about winning a soul, then the spirit of God is going to lead you to those people that he wants you to speak to, okay? And he's gonna set up perfect scenarios where you can go and talk to them about Jesus Christ and maybe their hearts will be open, maybe they won't. But one thing we must understand is that none of these things are more important than serving the one true God. And we've got to convince ourselves of that. God has got to become so real to us that following him in the spirit is greater than anything that we can have in the flesh. Other than that, we're gonna fall victim to those things that are of the flesh. And Jesus warned about this. Let's go to Luke 21, guys, and let's look at verse 29. Luke 21 and 29. I'll tell you, you can only serve the Lord when you care about what Jesus Christ wants. You can try and pretend that that ain't you and you know, I, I'm, I'm a man and woman of God. And you can convince yourself of all of that. You can convince that God told you to keep your mouth shut in the workplace and just let your little light shine. You can believe all that. But you see, none of those things are true. He says, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. And he that believeth not will be damned. That's the great commission. Okay, you can choose certain areas where the spirit will tell you we're comfortable to speak or do whatever. But if we think I'm not gonna tell and God told me not to tell anybody and I can just you know, not offend and do whatever, man, you're greatly deceived. The devil has poured water on your smoking. All right, so let's look at um, Luke 21 verse 29. And it says, and he spake to them a parable, behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now at hand. So you know, when you start to see like, you know, buds and everything, like springtime come, you know that summer's coming. Look at verse 31. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, ye know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation 
shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So it'll do us some good to recognize that everything the Lord told us, he meant for us to follow, okay? Because that's the most important thing. Look at verse 34. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged or, you know, beat down or overcome with surfeiting. What is surfeiting? Surfeiting is overeating or overindulging. So it's important that we understand that your heart can be overcome with surfeiting. So surfeiting is overindulgence or overeating and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. So as you can see, the devil gives us so much entertainment and the lust of the flesh because the devil wants you to overindulge and waste your life here so that you can forget about the one to come. Too many people have bought into that. Jesus has said, what profit has it in a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? What can a man give in exchange for his soul, guys? That's something to think about because if eternity is all it's cracked up to be and we believe it, how can we let anything in this life deter us from doing God's will? This is a stage that we've got to grow into. And the more, the closer we get to God, the more he's gonna peel back things that are not like him, that's gonna free us up to do his will. But we first gotta recognize, he says, and take heed to yourselves. This is a warning. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged or overcome with overindulging and overeating and drunkenness. And drunkenness just isn't alcohol. Drunkenness can be, you know, just not aware, not sober, you know, in fantasy land, you know, thinking about all that you can have here. And then it says, and the cares of this life, so that day may come upon you unawares. And a lot of people are going to be caught asleep. Remember the five wise virgins and the five foolish. Five in their lamps, and they cared about what God wanted. They kept their relationship fresh. The five foolish, what did they do? They took their time with God for granted. That's why it's important that we hear God and we do the necessary acts for salvation and to not just get saved. We know the process of getting saved. Believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. But salvation is a process. Not only do you have to get saved, you've got to stay saved. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27. I've got to buffet my body and bring it into subjection, lest at any time I can preach the gospel and I myself can become a castaway. So Paul knew unless he stayed up under his body, kept his relationship with the Lord for, for, uh, fresh, kept the, um, the spirit strong and the flesh weak, that he could be a castaway. So that's what he's warning us about. Look at verse 35. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the son of man. So, you know, he's talking about being accounted worthy to escape these things. You've got to stay in the spirit with God because every day something is trying to entice you to forsake God and indulge in the flesh. 
So this is a constant fight. This is a constant war to be set free from gluttony, to be set free from the flesh, to be set free from the world so that we can do the will of God. And that's why a disciple of Christ is someone that lives a disciplined life after the manner of Jesus Christ. I know disciples have been knocked down. You're somebody with a Bible in your hand. You're somebody that goes to church on Sunday, but this is bigger than that, guys. This is daily living. This is staying connected with your creator so that he can peel back all sin. And day by day, you can become more like Jesus from faith to faith and glory to glory. This is how we grow with the Lord. So you see, he's telling them to be made aware, guys, that you can be overcome with this. You know, uh, gluttony really is a spirit because A.A. A. Allen, who was one of the great men of the 20th century, man of God, you know, once cast a demon out of a woman that um, I think the woman was 600 pounds. When he cast that spirit of gluttony out of her, that woman lost 200 pounds right on the spot. You know, for those who can't say no to food, for those who are led with their appetites, you don't understand that the devil's plan, if he can't get you to eat yourself to death or get your mind off of Jesus Christ, he will allow you to eat and eat. So much so that a lot of people that are obese today, and I'm not making fun of anybody, but you start looking in the mirror and you begin to hate yourself. That is all due to that demon of gluttony. He'll let you eat when you're depressed. He'll let you eat when you're happy. He'll let you eat just to, just for the sake of eating. And then he'll turn you to yourself in the mirror and say, look at you. God would never accept such a fat, lazy you know, person as you. And he'll get you to want to kill yourself. A lot of people have wanted to commit suicide or they'll get on these losing weight quick schemes that never work. You know why they don't work? because it's all in the appetite. The appetite has got to be subdued, not the body. If, if, if someone that is 600 pounds develops the mind of Christ to obey the Lord and do what the Lord says, over time, you're gonna drop that weight because Jesus preaches self-denial. But you see, if you're somebody that's 200 pounds and you like to overindulge, it's only a matter of time before you become 600 pounds because it's all in the appetite. When your appetite becomes like Christ, so will your eating habits be. You won't be indulging in watching old cowboy movies and TV and going into all these different things. You're going to pursue what the spirit of God wants. That's why when a Christian commits themselves to prayer, it's kind of hard at first because you've got to train the flesh to obey God. Then after a while, you realize your prayers begin to run smooth. You begin to run to your knees and desire to draw close to God because that's all training in the flesh. But you see, it's not to get liposuction or tummy tucked and all this other stuff to get the result you want. What good is that if your appetite is the same? You have to have a changed nature to be born again, to pursue what Jesus wants, that the spirit leads the flesh and not the flesh any longer. Okay, so that's what we must understand. Yes, stay connected, amen, Brother Gary. You know, so that's the whole point with overindulgence. The Lord warns us, he wants us to stay away from this because we can be taken over. So I'm gonna tell you guys a little story. We're gonna read up on a little story of a people 
who were led by their belly and what result they got from this. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11 and let's begin at verse one. This is why it's dangerous to be led by your stomach because you know what? Even if you're a man that's given in to sexual sin, you've got a demon of lust, you've got to sleep with every woman you see. The devil can set you up lovely where the Lord may tell you, I don't want you to be with this woman. Give your life to me so that I can clean you out. But you'll see that beautiful woman with a beautiful body and beautiful legs and everything. And, you know, you just got to have it. Not even knowing the devil put that woman in your life because she's got HIV. She's got AIDS. So you see, the devil can set you to destroy you. What do you think destroyed Samson? His appetite. What he would not give over to God the devil eventually took over. And what did Samson lose? His anointing. That's why any man that's led by appetite, the Bible says in Proverbs 23, if he's overcome by it, you may as well slit your throat. That'll make it quicker because there's only a matter of time when you've got an addictive personalities that you're going to run to drugs and alcohol for comfort. Okay. And that's why you'll find people, even when they're through with the drugs and alcohol, what comes next? You know, oh, now I'm just going to overeat. Now I'm going to fornicate. You see, because you've got to do something with that appetite of yours instead of giving it to Christ. So did you really get rid of the demon? No, it metamorphosized. It turned from a demon of desiring food to a demon that now wants to fornicate. That's why we must be careful. In order for us to truly get rid of these demons, you know, and to subdue the flesh, we've got to walk in the spirit and we've got to seriously seek deliverance and live a life of self-denial because outside of that, we're gonna be given over to the flesh. And the flesh is the devil's realm. That's why when you escape the flesh, you can walk with God. But when you find yourself caught up in the flesh, man, you're subject to anything the devil wants to throw your way. And the worst part is you got no power to overcome it. Why? Because the flesh subdues you. Don't let that happen to you. Look at Numbers 11 and let's look at verse one. Now, you know that this was after the time that God led the children. I mean, you know, God used Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. So let's look at verse one and it says, and when the people complained, it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So God got sick of their murmuring and complaining because the wilderness is a perfect description and how you and I should view things because they went from a place of Egypt into a barren land where they just had to trust God. And God was meeting every need. He was pouring water from a rock. He was giving them manna from heaven. He was sustaining them so that they wouldn't have to lack. But you see, when you murmur and complain, it's because you're in the flesh. You don't want what God wants, or you feel like what God's giving you is not enough. We're going to find out later, too, in this study why that could be an issue. So look at verse 2, and it says, And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tabera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. Okay, so what were they doing? They're lusting. They're still gluttonous. 
they fell a lusting and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? So it wasn't good enough what God was giving. They wanted flesh to eat. That's like God giving you, you know, let's just say slices of bread or, you know, he's giving you some vegetables. He's giving you fruit, but you want steak. So these people are complaining. Who's giving us, um, who's going to give us flesh to eat? Look at verse five. We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. So you see these guys' appetites are what they can indulge in in flesh. You see how just because of what they ate in Egypt and now God's got them in the barren land to get it together so that he can lead them into the land of milk and honey, these people can't even focus on the mission or the task at hand. Why? Because their hearts are in Egypt. Why? Because they're after what their bellies desire. So it says in verse six, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed and the color thereof as a color of uh, bedellium or delium. And then it says, and the people went out and gathered it and uh, ground it to mills or beat it and beat it in a mortar and baked in the pans and made cakes of it and the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep uh, throughout their families, uh, every man in his door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. So it just seems like God can give them enough. You would have to ask yourself, why didn't God give them steaks in the wilderness? You know he could have done it. Why didn't God give them the best that they could actually have? Because just like he was trying to show them and what he's telling you and I, guys, this is not our home. We are only here to figure it out that we can walk with Jesus Christ in the future, that we can reap the benefits of eternal life if we don't indulge in the life that we have now. So God's focus was for them to reach the promised land, the land that flowed with milk and honey. If you're having your promised land in the wilderness, or for us, if we're having our heaven on earth, why would we desire to have God's heaven? So you see, God knows what he's doing. Why Christians have turbulent times? Why we go through what we go through? Why are there so many trials? Why does he tell us to deny self? Because if we deny self here, we can have what God has over there. But if we desire and we need our heaven here, then it's almost impossible to serve God in that way. So anyway, it says, and um, Moses said unto the Lord, wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? So they're a bunch of crybabies. So Moses doesn't even want to deal with them like, Lord, if this is a blessing, it's sure not looking like it. Look at verse 12. I have conceived all this people. Have I begotten them that they should have say unto me, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth a suckling child unto the land, which thou swearest unto thy fathers. 
when should I have flesh to give unto all these people? But they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of the hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. So Moses is taking the blame for this and saying, Lord, I must have led the people wrong because of after all the miracles you've shown us, after all the times we had nothing, you gave us everything. These people are not seeing it. So either I'm messing up or something strange is going on here. So it says, and the Lord said unto Moses, gather unto me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers overcome them and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee and I will put it upon them and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee that thou bear it not um, thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, against tomorrow, yeah, and uh, ye, shall, ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. Ye shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither 10 days nor 20 days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils and it be loathsome unto you because that ye have despised the Lord, which is among you and have wept before him saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? So the Lord is saying, okay, if you guys want this flesh, if you want what Egypt provided for you, and you don't want to take this journey with me to see all the goodness of my land, the promise that I've given you, okay, then I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you so much of what you want until it's coming out of your ears and your nostrils. Guys, you don't ever want God to give you what you want, because if God gives you what you want, it's a curse. Okay, because if it's not the will of God, then going after what you want is going to lead you away from God. So you want God to give you what he has in store for you. You don't ever want God to give you what you want. I'm telling you, it will not benefit you. And that's why a lot of people that are giving themselves over to drugs, alcohol, sex, a lot of them are caught up, you know, through fornication with all types of diseases. A lot of them are caught up you know, with um, being alcoholics, they can't stop now. A lot of people are given over to drugs and they're killing themselves. Why? Because they refuse to accept what God wanted to give them and they wanted to indulge in what they wanted. And you see, if you won't allow God to take sin from you, all God's got to do is leave you in that appetite to yourself and you will destroy yourself. So look at verse 21, and Moses said unto the people among whom I am and 600,000 footmen, the whole, I mean, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them? 
or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice, to suffice them? And the Lord said unto Moses, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Uh, is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. So Moses made clear, these people are too much for me. I need help, Lord. So the Lord appointed 70 elders, took the spirit that was upon Moses and distributed to the 70 elders to do what? To help out. So let's skip down now, guys, uh, to verse 30. And it says, and Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quails from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp that as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. So can you imagine God allowed quail to fall. These people wanted quail so bad. God said, you know what? I'm sick of your murmuring and complaining. I'm going to give you just what your heart desires. So imagine quail two cubits high. That's two elbows, arm elbows up. And I don't know how tall people were in those days. I would imagine they were taller than us. But, you know, two cubits high. And then it says, and what is it, a day's journey uh, one, um, east to west. So that's how much quail he dropped for them, that it was almost limitless. It ran for miles. Look at verse 32. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. Uh, he that gathered, that, uh, that gathered least uh, gathered 10 homers, and they spread them all, all abroad. Uh, for themselves round about the camp. So you know what's also amazing too, guys, and this is a good way we can check ourselves. When God commands us to do things for him, we won't do it. But you see how hard they're working for all this quail that fell? Because their gods were their bellies. These guys went day and night collecting quail, but they couldn't follow and trust God in the wilderness heading towards the promised land. This tells you something about those type of people that are given over to their flesh. Look at verse 33. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere er it was uh, chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. So while the, <laughs> while the meat was yet between their teeth before they can chew down, God destroyed them right on the spot. You know why? Because that's what they wanted. There was no need to go any further. There was no need to make it into the promised land. Their gods were their belly. So what does this also tell you about gluttony? Gluttony is also idolatry because instead of obeying God, you're going after what you want to please yourself. And when you do that, Hey man, you don't have God's favor. You're putting something in front of God. Look at verse 34. And he called the name of that place Hebroth Havita uh, because, they, because there they buried the people that lusted. 
So you don't want to lust, okay? You want what God has for you. I'm going to make another point concerning this, and then you guys are going to hear a video of um, this, this guy, man, that's talking all kinds of stuff concerning marriage. I ran into this guy a few weeks ago. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. But I ran into this guy a couple of weeks ago, and I heard him teach on is marriage um, monogamous or is biblical marriage supposed to be, you know, polygamous? And I had to say to myself, let me just listen to this guy before I judge him or before I go into it. But this man was trying to bring up many points from the Old Testament, of course, you know, that it's okay to be polygamous. But I think what we're going to find out concerning this guy is his real problem is he's a glutton. Okay, he's not happy with the wife he has. He wants varieties of wives. And that's what we're going to talk about concerning how far gluttony can go. Because gluttony will make you displeased with one woman or one man. It will make you lust and indulge. Now, you know, lust is not for the person that you're with. If someone's lusting after you, they're only going to lust after you for a moment. But then it's going to come a point where that lust will need to be satisfied. So they're going to go out and find someone else that they can lust with. So you see, their lust is not for you. Their lust is for them. So if you're a woman out there and you got men lusting after you, trust me, they don't love you. As soon as they get what they get from you, they are going to dump you and go somewhere else. Why? Because lust is an insatiable appetite. Lust is the appetite of demons expressed through humans. That's why a person can't stop eating. That's why you can't stop fornicating. You can't stop drinking. You can't stop getting high and doing drugs. That's why you start to lust so much that you begin to lust after another man or another woman. Why? I mean, I'm talking about if you're a man lusting after a man and a woman after a woman, because homosexuality is a lustful spirit. It's a lustful spirit that is so lustful that it will begin to desire that which is like itself. That's why we need the spirit of God to show us right from wrong. First Timothy six, guys, look at verse three. He says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw yourself. So for this man that wants to make an argument about how many women that a man can have, you know, as, a, as wives, He's supposing that gain is godliness. What's wrong with the wife that you have? You can have sex with her just like you could have sex with 10 or 15 women. Okay, so if she's all that you need, why would you make an argument to desire more than one wife? It, it, it's pretty clear that it's his lust that's keeping him from being happy with what he has. God made Adam and Eve. He didn't make Adam with three women saying, Adam, in case Eve isn't enough. We can go on and try and have as many women as we can. So you see, I don't care how many points this guy brings up concerning, um, you know, what happened with David, what happened with Moses and this one and that one. 
all those purposes in the Old Testament, they were all done for the purpose of God to have an agenda met. De uh, what's his name? Uh, what's what's the guy's name? Uh, not Joseph, Joseph's father, Jacob. Jacob didn't desire more than one wife. He loved Rachel. He got tricked into receiving Leah, but Leah is the bloodline from which the Messiah came. Okay, so there, there were things like that that God allowed for the 12 tribes of Israel to be brought forward, but it wasn't part of the original plan, you know? So these are things that we gotta be careful with. When you look at Abraham and Sarah, it wasn't God's plan that Abraham and Sarah were supposed to have, um, you know, more, or Abraham should have more than one wife. Hagar became a part of the deal, why? Because they could not wait on the Lord. So every time you see these polygamous relationships, in most cases, they're frowned upon concerning God. That's not God's plan. But these people are, are, are doing this today because they want to use the word of God to get as much variety and indulgence in the flesh that they can possibly have. So it says perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw yourself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's what he was trying to teach the people in Numbers 11. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But you see, when you're not happy with what God has given you, then what you're gonna do now is try and find Old Testament scriptures to try and prove your point when there is no support for it in the New Testament at all. What I try and tell people, instead of getting into an argument with this guy, you must understand the purpose of Jesus Christ. He came to bring back that which was lost. In the beginning, there was Adam and Eve. There was nobody else. God intended to use them to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. If Jesus came to give back that which was lost, then Jesus came to give back the original creation, which was Adam and Eve. Okay, so you can't use any Old Testament scriptures to try and make your point that you want more than one wife because there is no doctrine in the New Testament that supports it. And I'm gonna prove that. So it says, look at verse seven, but we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. Have we ever thought about that, guys? That things that we hold as our prized possessions in the flesh, do we realize that they can't go any further than the grave? Once you die, it's gone. And I mean, for many of the things we have now, we've got to buy over and replace because they corrupt and get old. That's why Jesus says, don't worry about treasures that moth and rust corrupts and where thieves break through and steal, but lay your treasures in heaven to desire the things that are of God. So he says, man, we can't take anything out of this world with us and having food and clothing, let us be there with content. So if we have food and we have clothing, let's be content with what God gave. He says, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lust. Notice that the word lust is being used here, okay? Because a lot of people say, if I get rich, I'm gonna serve the Lord but you find them buying up everything else because of the lust that is in their own hearts. He says, and which drown men in destruction and perdition. So as you can see, you can be drowned in the cares of this life, which is why we shouldn't be 
partakers of gluttony. He says, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some were greedy or coveted after, they have erred from the faith and have pierced themselves through with many sorrows. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience, and meekness. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. So the man of God is supposed to follow after righteousness, faith, holiness. You know, we're supposed to be going after God, God's desire. But these people, you know, that's why whenever you watch, you know, football or something, they got beer commercials. Why? To get you to desire the beer. And what comes after that? You know, they'll have a woman in a bikini selling beer. What are they promoting? Lust. It's got nothing to do with football or, or any other sport. But you see, they're always constantly trying to tempt you and I in the flesh through TV, through media. And that's why we've got to be careful what we see, because gluttony is a real spirit. And, you know, you can't help but desire things that are not of God. All right. If, if you are giving yourself over to those things. So let's hear a clip of this man that hates Christianity. I think he's another black Hebrew Israelite, you know, but he can't stand Christianity. And the point he says is what Christians have is a godless, um, you know, we have a godless faith because we're not a part of the old Mosaic law, you know, and it's just like, man, they lack understanding. And you see that type of ignorance is drawing a lot of people to hell. So this is where the guy says polygamy is biblical, period. You guys listen to this guy. Hey, hey guys, okay, here we go. We're still on this polygyny topic. Uh, once again, uh, guys, I'm gonna really just hammer this thing on polygyny and, and just, just tear down the walls of this, uh, this uh, Greco-Roman Christian theology about polygyny. There's nothing wrong with polygyny, okay? Polygyny is something that came from the Greek culture, then to the, the Roman culture adopted it, and then Christianity was adopted or created by the Roman the Romans, which became the Roman Catholic Church. So, so guys, let me just, sh this is for, guys, here, let me calm down. These are for people who have ears to hear and eyes to see. That's the only people. So I'm doing this video because this is the deception and the lies of Christianity. This is the stupidity of Christianity that they're deceiving people. You have the deceived, deceived, the deceived, the blind leading the blind. So I'm going to show you a, a perfect example. So one of the persons comment on my video, this is the last video of me responding about my grandfather being a polygynist. He talked about how he gets it that he knows that the people in the Old Testament practice polygyny, but now in the New Testament, he quoted in Mark chapter 10, verse seven to nine, talk about the, a man must leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and the, one, the two shall become one. He quoted Ephesians 31, but here's the deal. So guys, I told you in the other video that I've read the Bible, okay? From Genesis to Revelations, I am not your, I was not your typical Christians who only read the New Testament only. I actually opened up the book, read Genesis, Exodus, and kept on going until I got to Revelations, okay? 
when I was a Christian, they told me, don't read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is bad. It's bad. Just focus on the New Testament. I was told that. So I'm like, what, what are they trying to hide in the Old Testament? So I was one of those Christians when I, when I identified as a Christian that actually went and read the Bible. I read Genesis for myself. And so I was being discouraged in the beginning, but now I know why, because that is where the truth lies. You're going to understand the New Testament when you have an understanding of what's in the Old Testament, because everything in the New Testament is just literally bringing clarity to the Old Testament. It's not changing it. The Bible makes it very clear. Do not add or subtract. It will be a curse on you. So Paul, none of the Gospels writers would have changed the word. Jesus made it clear. Think not that I've come to change the, uh, the law, I came to fulfill it, meaning to fulfill the requirements of the law, not to abolish it. He clearly says, I didn't, don't think I've come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill, fulfill the requirements that the law requires of him as a man. Because of the love he had for the father, he tells us to do the same that he has done. Do as I have done, as I kept my father's commandment, keep my commandments. So now, let me get to where I want to show you before I digress too much here. So you have a guy called Mark chapter 10, verse 7 to 9. Go read it yourself. It's about the man leaving his wife, mother and father cleave to his wife. Ephesians 5.31. But here's the problem. Those people are literally quoting what Moses wrote. And, and, and everybody said Genesis and, and the first the Torah was written by Moses. So let me read here. This is in Genesis chapter 2. And it's that. Verse 23, Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 says, And Adam said, This is after Adam was created, uh, uh, the woman was created. This is after the uh, Adam went to deep sleep. Yah moved the uh, rib from him and created a woman. And here's what it says in 23. Genesis chapter 2, verse 23 says, and, the, and Adam said, This is now the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. So guys, look it. You have Moses. You had uh, Moses who had multiple wives, who was a polygynist. You had David who was a polygynist. You had Solomon that was a polygynist. You had Abraham that was a polygynist. You had Jacob who became Israel polygynist. You had Gideon. Uh, uh, Gideon was a polygynist. You had priests. And you had so many people that knew about a man leaving his wife, cleaving unto his wife, and the two shall become one. So are you telling me that what was good for back then? So are you telling me that they knew about the cleaving and leaving and the, the one flesh and they still practice polygyny and Yah had no problem. He even gave David his wives, not wife, wives. And, and that wasn't enough. Yah says, all you had to do is ask and I would have given you more. So this uh, man leaving his wife, and leave his parents, mother and father, and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, is not a new concept. It's something that's old. That's all they're, they're repeating what was in the Old Testament. So everything that you, you quoted, this guy quoted in the New Testament, Moses knew about it. David knew about it. Abraham, everybody knew about this stuff. So guys, I'm, I'm, once again, this is for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see. That's, that's what I'm doing this for. So you guys can see, read the Bible for yourself. Be a Berean. Go through the scriptures day and night. See what it says. 
Check my work. See if I'm off. Guys, I'm not crazy. I read the Bible. I've read this book. And that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Don't take my word for it. People won't even tell you to check the word. They'll give you an article or something. I'm telling you, go to your own Bible. If you have a holy Bible, now, maybe you have those Bibles that only has the New Testament. If you only have a Bible that has New Testament, you can download the Bible apps. There's Bible apps that have Genesis all the way to Revelations. Get that Bible. They even have other books in there called the Apocrypha, but we're not going to even go there yet because that's a whole nother world. But there, if you don't have that Bible, you can download it. You can Google it. Look it up. I'm not making this thing up. I'm not the one that's lying to you. Christianity is a multi-billion dollar business, and they're fleecing people. They don't care about your soul. All they care about is your, is your money. That's all they care about. They do not give. They don't care about your soul. And so I'm going to be talking more about this because there's more about this thing that you can see why our society has turned and become so effeminate. And it has a lot to do with the forced monogamous uh, relationship that this culture uh, uh, breeds. It's always it's been in the Roman culture, the Greek culture, homosexuality. That's why all of this stuff is happening, because instead of being a patriarch, we have become a matriarch. And a lot of this reason why we have all of this bad stuff happening is just sin. But it is you'll be surprised how much a forced monogamous society produces this type of society where you have homosexuality, you have infeminate men, you have all of this craziness going on. So anyway, hey, comment like dislike but comment give me i, I want to know what you guys are thinking this is not for me because i i need you guys to to make decisions this is to stimulate thought i want you guys to start thinking christianity do not require they do not want you thinking that is against their 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 whole theology you can't think you're supposed to just follow the leader they say we're part of a cult our pastor tells us to think. He tells us to use your brains. Check his work. In Christianity, you're not allowed to think. You're just supposed to follow the pastor. Whatever the pastor says, everybody do, and they regurgitate, tell everybody, well, this is what my pastor says. Well, come to my church so you can hear what my pastor have to say. But they don't teach you how to read this book for yourself. It's real simple, real simple. You still need a pastor, but not a pastor that don't want you to look behind his work. All right. I hope this stimulate thought. Tell me what you guys think. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed. Like, dislike, comment. Hey, let's get the, let's keep the dialogue going. Let's let's tear down the walls of Christianities and the lies, the 2000 years of lies. Let's tear this thing down. All right. Shalom, shalom. Hey, hey guys. Okay. Sorry. Okay, so you guys see this is, this is how well-masked that gluttony can be. Yes, he brought up some good points about the false Christian churches, but you got to understand something that this is how the very elect can even be deceived. Because along with some truths that he was bringing forward, there were plenty of lies because he didn't understand them. And this is the other thing about lust that you got to recognize and see, guys. He's talking about what's okay to be polygamous, okay? But He's considering that because of his own lust. He's not thinking about his wife. He's not thinking about what his wives would feel if he had that many. Okay, that's something to think about because you see, lusting is self-love. It's self-indulging, what I want for me. Wait, how can you imagine a bunch of women living together, man? They're not gonna like that, man. Do you love her? 
that you're gonna be sleeping with this one, knowing that that one is listening to you. I mean, or you know, hearing you guys in the room, and I mean, you know, is he even considering the fact that other people may need things too? So you see, this is how gluttonous is. It's just how you got a person that can eat themselves to 600 pounds and not even think about their own health, their children, okay, their family, what may happen to them when they die. This is the same kind of lustful spirit, a drug addict. Leave me alone. Let me live my life. Let me do what I want to do. But they don't understand that their death or their demise or what they're doing to themselves is affecting other people. You know, even a fornicator, you get what you can from a man or a woman, but in the end, you don't realize how you hurt that person after getting what you indulge in and going somewhere else. So as you can see, lust itself, gluttony itself is self-loving. It doesn't care anything about anybody else except protecting self. So let's go to, uh, I want, before I address this whole thing with this guy thinks he knows what he's talking about. This guy is seriously ignorant. He does not understand what he reads, nor can he place time where it ought to be. And that's why I'm trying to tell people about this New Testament and Old Testament stuff. You better get some understanding. This is important that you understand why he gave us a covenant, why the covenant moved from Adamic to Noahic to Abrahamic to Mosaic to Davidic unto Christ. Now you've you got to understand, because while God was moving, he was doing things. So what we're going is from the beginning, we went from the beginning unto the lowest possible place man can go, only to go back up to the beginning. This is what Jesus Christ came to bring back. But if you don't see that, you'll be lost in this whole thing. Because he's sitting there talking about what, what Abraham and all these other people did, does he not recognize who Jesus Christ is concerning the standard? But I'm going to show what his problem is. Look at Romans 16. Romans 16, guys, and let's look at verse 17. But you see, this is how people get deceived. Well, he read it out of the Bible. He was bringing up some good points. Yeah, but do he, does he even understand what he said? You can't go for the hype. You got to read your Bible. That I give him credit that he did say. What he fails to do is understand the Bible. Okay, so look at Romans 16 and verse 17. It says, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. So what is he telling them there? Which doctrine? The doctrine of Christ. Why do you think it's called the doctrine of Christ? Is all of the Bible the doctrine of Christ? No. Okay, I can say yes and no. What God meant in the Old Testament was for that time under that covenant. But under the new covenant, Jesus Christ is everyone's example. So he says again, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. But they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. So this is what we're dealing with right here. This man is wanting to serve his own belly by, by desiring and, and arguing for multiple wives. I mean, you know, somebody don't love somebody somewhere. 
And then he talks about fair speeches. That's what that guy tried to bring forward. And they deceived the hearts of the sample. When I heard this guy speak, I wasn't fooled because I know what Jesus Christ represents. But you know how many people this guy's going to lead to hell because of the gluttonous in his own heart? Look at verse 19. For your obedience is come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf. Uh, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. So God wants us to know what evil is. Now we're going to get into this thing and talk about what this guy brought forward, what he did not understand. So let's go to Mark chapter 10. Matter of fact, let's go to Genesis 2. Genesis 2. And let's look at verse 18. This would have been considered the first marriage. And it says, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me. He didn't say help meet. He didn't say multiple women. He says he would make them and help meet uh, for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and then the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But uh, for Adam, there was not found in help me for him. So what, you, what he saw was the animals were able to come together and multiply, but there was nothing for Adam. Okay, this is what God was thinking. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman. He made one woman. Now, could God have made more than one woman from one rib? Absolutely. But you got to understand, this is the original plan before the fall and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. How can you be one flesh with a bunch of women? And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So that's the original. That's the first marriage. Now, think about this. There was a man once who did overindulge, who had a glut in his heart. Let's read upon him real quick before we get into what Jesus says. So let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. Let's see how it worked out for him. Exactly. That's what people need, sister, the Holy Ghost and understanding. Hey, Shadante. Amen. So this is First Kings 11. Look at verse one. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, um, Edomites, Zidonians and Hittites. Now, you know that the children of Israel were not supposed to be involved with these women. So Solomon knew what the Lord what the Lord told him, but he still had to indulge for it. Look at verse two. 
of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, Solomon clave unto these in love. I would like to say in lust, because that's not the agape love that's of God. And he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, that's who we celebrate for Easter, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, that's Nimrod, that's who we celebrate for Christmas, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as, his, as did David, his father. Then did Solomon uh, build in high place for Shemash, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem and for Moloch, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burnt incense and sacrifice unto their God. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because of his heart was turned uh, from the Lord God of Israel, uh, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go up or not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. So as you can see, you know, it says uh, further on down here that Solomon fell away. Why? Because of the desire in his own heart, because of his own lust. Lust turns you away from God. Love turns you towards God. So as you can see, anytime there's lust, there's the absence of love. Solomon didn't love these women. He enjoyed being king. And when he did that, you know, look at how he destroyed himself. The thing that you love that is aside from God can destroy you if your heart is with that thing. Hey, sister, got a got there? All right. So I just wanted to make that point. Let's go to a, a couple of other points. Look at uh, Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Did you see that guy, man? He would have you going if you didn't know better. All right. Let's look at verse 13. And this is why when we adopt a new life in Jesus Christ, we've got to go away from the old life because he's going to describe it right here. Philippians 3, look at verse 13. And it says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of an high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything uh, ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. 
So as you can see, when you follow the Lord, it's almost impossible to become a glutton of any sort because the Holy Ghost is gonna point out to you the things that are right and the things that are wrong. So he says, um, let's see, look at verse 16. Nevertheless, whereto uh, we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be ye followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what the Lord is making clear here that these people are enemies of Christ. The very fact that they don't live a life of self-denial. He's going to describe these enemies, guys. Look at verse 19 whose end is destruction because they're led by the flesh, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame and who mind earthly things. So as you can see, a glutton is one who's, whose end is destruction. I mean, it's no secret if you eat like a pig that you're gonna eventually get something wrong with you. And then it says, whose God is their belly. Why are they are living their lives in excess? because if my belly wants it, I've got to go after it. So they don't have God as their covering, they've got their belly as their God. And it says, um, uh, in they glory in their shame. So they indulge in unrighteousness and they mind earthly things. And this is why the Bible tells us to be heavenly minded because when we're earthly minded, we set our affections on the things on the earth. And when we're doing that, we can't hear or see God if that's all we think about. But our conversation is in heaven from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who uh, shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So you guys, we can overcome gluttony. We just gotta know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now I'm gonna get to this marriage thing because I don't like what this guy said. Look at 1 Timothy chapter three. Talking about polygamy is okay. You know, in a, um, with God. That's not okay. Now, this is the church of God. This is 1 Timothy 3. This is Paul speaking to his young apprentice, Timothy, and it says, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop or pastor, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality and apt to teach, not given to wine, or nor striker, nor greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, nor covetous, uh, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So if you're gonna be a pastor, first you gotta be a husband of one wife. So that tells you right there, if the pastor is the example to the flock, then how can he have more than one wife? That shuts that guy up right there. But then he says, not greedy of filthy lucre. And then he says, having his children in subjection. How are you gonna have your children in subjection with three wives? Because all you're gonna do is encourage your kids to, to desire after variety and go after those things. I mean, so you see, this is all 
garbage what this man is preaching. If a pastor has to be the husband of one wife, then he's the example to the church. Jesus Christ only has one bride. Who was that? His church. That's why he amalgamated the Jew and Gentile, put them in together into one group so that God can be the standard. Jesus Christ can be the standard. I want to go to another place and make a point. Look at Mark 10. But man, why would you even make a stupid video like that is my question. What is your desire? What is your desire? You need another woman that bad that you got to do a teaching on polygamy? And he say the Christians are messed up? No, he's pretty messed up. Look at Mark 10 and look at verse 1. And he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the further side of Jordan. And the people resort unto him again. And as he was wont, he taught them again. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto him, what, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. He's talking about Deuteronomy 24. Look at verse five. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote to you this precept. So this wasn't Moses's plan either. Moses understood through the hardness of heart that he wrote a bill of divorcement through permission of God. But look at what he says. But from the beginning of the creation, uh, God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then uh, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put his under. So from the, Jesus brought it back to the beginning to show them what he originally desired. And that's what we got to learn to follow. What Jesus Christ said. All right. So let's look at uh, Mark uh, 19. I mean, Matthew 19. Sorry, guys. Matthew 19. And we can look again. Uh, um, let's look at verse 3. And Pharisees also came to him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and, and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more twain, but one flesh. Uh, what therefore God have joined together, let no man put us under. And they said unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put it, and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery, 
and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. So that tells you right there, the original plan is one man to a woman. Now there are stipulations for divorce at some point. If you read in your spare time, 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul says, if your unbelieving wife or husband wants to be with you, then be with them and you sanctify your home that way. He's not talking about marrying an unbeliever. If they somehow become an unbeliever and you find out the truth too late and you're already married, then, you know, then stay with them and, you know, hopefully God will give them what they need. But he says, if the unbeliever depart, that you are not bound in such cases that you are free to go. So if they decide to leave you for being a Christian, that's not your fault, you know? So the Bible says we're no longer bound in that case. So there are rules for it, but this man is acting like, you know, this is what God's desire is to have multiple wives at one time. That's not okay because you're not considering the needs of the people. I also wanna go to another spot. Um, let's look at, uh, let's see, let's look at Matthew 16. I just wanna bring up a few points. And we're gonna, um, I'm gonna read to an article that tells you how to get free from a gluttony. So let's look at verse 21, Matthew 16 and verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. But then Peter took him and began to rebuke him saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. So we gotta watch ourselves, guys, as far as the things that are of God and things that are of men. This is important because that'll tell us immediately where our, heart, our hearts are. Is this something that men want or is it something that God wants? Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So there is nothing that anybody can give in exchange for their souls. Now, I wanna say something about the marriage thing that the Lord is also showing me too. If you have married and divorced outside of the way that God called you to, but you found out the truth after you were married, you know what, give that to God. You were ignorant, you did not know. You've got to live your life in accordance to the point where you knew, okay? Because I have a feeling that some people may be offended with what went on. You didn't know, you went according to your understanding. Now that you know, make sure that that does not happen again. You've got to go according to the will of God's word. You got to obey the spirit today, okay? But I just wanna uh, go to a few other points that'll be helpful concerning this. On uh, your spare time, read Luke 12. No matter of fact, let's read that. 
Luke 12, and let's look at verse 13. And then we're going to get into this article so how people can understand how to get past this uh, spirit of gluttony. I remember Derek Prince once um, speaking of that um, there was a woman that was dealing with gluttony so bad that she used to steal food from her child's plate. Okay, while the child was having dinner, she used to like, you know, sneak food off the child's plate and eat it. That's how bad it can get that you can be so worried about you, you don't even hear what God tells you. But let's look at another instance. This is Luke 12. Look at verse 13. And it says, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, man, who, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. So stop worrying about all that you have or all that you don't have. That's not what a man's life consists of. That's what he's trying to tell him. So he says in verse 16, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought he forth plentifully. And uh, he thought within himself saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So all you hear from this guy is my, 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 all that he can have. And I will say to my soul, so thou hast much goods laid up for, for many years. Uh, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So we've got to be rich towards God, not laying up treasures for self. This man was so concerned for self that his soul went to hell. Why? Because he did not love the Lord his God with his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Neither did he love his neighbor. Look at Philippians 2, guys, quick verses. You know, your own lust can stop you from receiving the prayers of your prayers answered from God. Philippians 2, look at what Paul says. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you who was also I mean, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation and took upon the form of a servant and, and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So as you can see, our minds should be loving our neighbor, going after the things that our neighbors you know, might need or to help them out. That's the true love of Christ, not what you can have for you. Because even if you were to take fornication into consideration, that's somebody's future wife or husband you're enjoying yourself with. So you see how self-indulgence doesn't care about anybody. That person is to be preserved for the person that God has for them. Look at how your prayers cannot be answered, guys. Look at James 4 and verse 1. These are going to be quick points, and then I'm going to close. James 4, look at verse 1. It says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war on your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have. Ye cannot obtain. Ye fight and war. Yet ye have not because ye ask not. So you see what lust can do? Lust can make you fight, murder, war, you know, become covetous. And, you know, this is the war that goes on within fallen man. But look at verse three. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss. You ask an error that ye may consume it upon your lust. So let me give you an example of this. To ask an error or ask amiss is kind of like, God, I want this woman saved. Can you save her? But I only want her saved because I want her to be my wife. I want her to be with me. So I want her to receive salvation so that she can come and be with me. That's asking amiss because you can, you should be more concerned for the soul. And if God happens to bring that relationship together, then he does. But you see, it's those types of lust, lust that we have that can keep us from having our prayers being answered. He says, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore shall be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So when we love the world, when we indulge in the world, when the world becomes our treasure, we become the enemy of God by nature. I wanna bring up another point before we close. Let's look at, um, let's see. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians 6. And I am supposed to read this article to you guys. I forgot, but I am going to get into that right after this one. Look at what Paul says in verse 9, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. He says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, adulterer, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. So when it means they're not expedient, they're not profitable to me. 
He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. That's important because if somebody were to say, is it bad to, you know, eat junk food? In the long run, yes. But if you have a bag of popcorn every now and then, you're not brought under the power of it. Yeah, you can have it or do whatever. Is it unlawful to play a video game? Depends on the game you're playing. But you see, this is what Paul says. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. So he will keep Christ as his head. He will stay in that place with the Lord where I can take anything in moderation. I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about just doing something worldly, like you like to go fishing. There's no biblical support for fishing because Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. But if you go fishing for food, man, God don't care. As long as you're not doing that every single day and you're not giving him time, because then you're brought under the power of the comfort of fishing. So these are things that we've got to pay attention to. Are these things bringing us under its power or are we leaving them in their rightful places and giving all things unto the Lord? So God don't mind you having escapes to clear your mind, but are you brought under the power of these things? That makes the big difference concerning gluttony or being overcome by these things because God wants his people to be set free. So let me read this article real quick, guys. This is gonna be brief. About how to overcome gluttony. And all uh, that video that I uh, gave you guys tonight, that will be in the description box so you guys can look it up. Okay. This is called um, The Truth That Set Me Free From Gluttony. Obesity and the failure to exercise discipline in my, in my eating have burdened my life for years. I have been a Christian for years and I am a pastor. I often prayed for self-control, that is of the fruits of the spirit. I long to help other people uh, with their problems, but in my heart, I always wondered if they believed uh, the things I said because I was obvious, because it was obvious that I had this major failure in my own life. I often thought of Paul's chilling words in 1 Corinthians 9 and 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Uh, I felt like my overweight uh, was mocking God, like the Philistine giant mocked David's God. Oh, everywhere I went, I was painfully conscious of the obvious evidence of my lack of self-control. So I want to get down to the point, guys. You'll find this in the description box, but this is called The Truth That Brought Freedom. Early one morning in June, all these things came together in my mind. I experienced a deep sense of brokenness and humility. The Lord brought to my mind a teaching that uh, Mr. Gothard uh, had given at uh, at an all-day ministry seminar a couple of years ago. The teaching was that the Lord has given us impossible commands and that the Christian life is impossible. He taught that God designed it, designed it this way 
so that we would rely on him. He went on to give the teaching of scripture on crying out to God. I had the notes in my file, but until that morning, I had not cried out to God for help. When I thought on that, it was as if the lights in my spirit turned on. I realized uh, how impossible my problem was and that if I was ever going to defeat this enemy of my soul that was mocking my God, I would have to cry out to the Lord to do for me what I could not do for myself. So um, when you scroll down, I wanna get to the things that, um, but he did overcome it. He says he's now 6'3", and he's 195 pounds. But it says, uh, God granted me deliverance from gluttony. Here's the first one. When I realized that victory was humanly, was humanly possible, without me, you could do nothing. He relied on John 15 and 5. Then he says, when I acknowledge, this is two, that my gluttony was idolatry, I saw that I was trying to find soul, sat soul satisfaction uh, in food that could only come from God. I began to acknowledge that my delight was in food rather than in the one who gave me food. I began to delight in myself, or I began to delight myself in the Lord. This is three. When I began to walk in the light, in other words, I was honest about my sin, Proverbs 28 and 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Walking in the light is being honest and confessing the hold food has on my soul. Walking in the light is being honest about how often and how much food I am eating. Walking in the light is submitting uh, to uh, open accountability uh, to others for what I am eating every meal, uh, every day. This is for when I cried out to God, Psalm 34 has become very precious to me in the last year. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from my own fears. Uh, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and the ears are open to their cry, and his ears are open to their cry. Uh, the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. So that's what the man did and the Lord delivered him from what he was dealing with. But we first gotta recognize what those sins are in our lives because Sister Sarah may remember this, but I remember one day the Lord gave me revelation and told me that the demon of gluttony and the demon of fornication were the same demon. You know, that they run hand in hand. The appetite is the same. Usually when one appetite can't come forward, the devil will use another one to bring it to pass. So you see, we can't indulge in anything. We've got to follow the Lord. Look at Galatians 5. Galatians 5, guys, let's look at verse 16. 
Galatians 5, look at verse 16. He says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So it sounds simple. If we walk in the spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, and he says, because there's those two go against one another and we won't be able to do the things that we would. So that flesh has got to be trained and brought under subjection. Verse 18 says, but if we be led by the spirit, we are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, which is kind of like rioting and banqueting and wild partying, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So the manifestation of the works of the flesh, if we live in our flesh, we can only become one of these things. That's important. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, so those who belong to Jesus, guys, have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So you can't belong to Jesus unless you allow the Lord to crucify the flesh with those affections and those lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. So you see, that's the importance, guys, of walking in the spirit and obeying God is that we allow our spirit to take over our flesh. It's like a chain link. You've got the body, you've got the soul, and you've got the spirit. The spirit is the place that we commune with God. The soul is our mind, will, and our emotions in the middle. And you got the flesh, which is the house we live in that has a desire of its own. We cannot allow this flesh to become strong to pull our mind, will, and our emotions its way. We need to stay, uh, to have uh, the spirit strong, to commune with the spirit, that the flesh goes dormant, and then you've got the spirit pulling the soul in the way that it ought to go towards God. That is the daily fight, that's the battle. If we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So in your spare time, read Luke 14, Read Jude 1, which talks about, you know, those who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. James 3 even talks about that the wisdom that doesn't come from above is earthly, means it has an appetite for earthly, then it is sensual, and then it is lastly devilish. That's why when the flesh leads, we are earthly in nature, then we become sensual. That means that we are led by our feelings and emotions. And then lastly, we become devilish, which is demonic. But if we walk in the spirit, the Bible tells us we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, we will be fruitful and do what God desires. So the way to overcome gluttony or any addiction that we may have out there 
is to give all things unto God. Admit what our problem is and the spirit of God will help you to fight through this, okay? And he will, he will tell you to fast. You're not gonna get through this without fasting, guys. You're not gonna get through this without prayer. Even Jesus said in Matthew 17 and 21, how be it, this spirit cometh not out, but by prayer and fasting. So we've got to fast and pray to allow the spirit of God to get strong in us and to clean us out from all unrighteousness. So that's pretty much the lesson for tonight, guys. Hopefully we got some understanding. I had a lot of scriptures there, but you know, at times we just don't have the time to go into it. But we've got to be made aware of what the gluttonous spirit is because it manifests itself in different ways. What does Sister Tatiana say? Oh, wow, you had that up for like a few minutes and I wasn't even thinking about it. But she said what I said, you know, about, you know, uh, being able to overcome those things that are unrighteous. OK, so um, I just want to say to people out there, if you know you're not saved and nobody knows this more than you, give your life to Jesus Christ while there is still time. Repent of your sins, turn from your wicked ways, allow the spirit of God to come upon you and, and, and believe that he died for your sins. And we must believe in his death, burial and resurrection. So we've got to fast and pray. We need to get baptized. We need to ask the Lord to forgive us. And we must believe that Jesus Christ is coming back for a church without spot, blemish or wrinkle. And we must believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. There is no other way aside from him, okay? So where that guy was sitting there talking about the truth and he was talking about what he knew concerning what the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by Jesus Christ. And you see, that's what Old Testament, you know, Mosaic law keepers do. They take the emphasis off of Jesus and they put it on the old Mosaic law. And when you do that, that's antichrist. Because you see, this man said, did you hear him? Read Mark 10 again, and all you're gonna see is that Jesus Christ, you know, it don't matter what that said. I'm taking it back to all the old laws and all the things that were on. You see, he didn't even hear Christ. He didn't even hear his savior. You know why? Because he's antichrist. He didn't hear Jesus. He heard the old Mosaic law, and because at that moment that was conducive to his lust, he just said, man, forget what Jesus said. Let me run with what I want. And when you do that, you're in error. You know, and he started out saying that um, the Romans accepted polygamy. The, the, uh, um, all the Gentiles and they, people in the past accepted it. But you see, the Christians are part of um, the Romans, but yet he's he's pushing the same doctrine. So you see, it's it's convenient for him to use the Romans, but then he wants to use them as the enemy when the Bible tells us to let every man have his wife and every woman have her husband, okay? You see, it's not suitable for him because he still wants to be a fornicator. He still wants to be an adulterer. He's sorry that he married the woman that he did. So now his plan is to find as much variety as he can. And we got to listen to Jesus Christ and choose him. So let's pray, guys, and we'll go out from there. If anybody has any questions, 
I'll stay open for an, another minute or so that, um, you know, I can answer it. If not, then, you know, we'll close. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for this time of sharing. We thank you for the word of God. I thank you, Lord, for the brothers and sisters that were on tonight, those who can hear the truth, those who have not fallen victim to lies and deception. And Lord, for those who have, I pray in Jesus' name that you set the captives free because that is why you came, Lord. You came to bind the broken heart. You came to preach deliverance unto the captives and that we may choose you, Lord, and not the ways of error. So I just pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that your word pierce through the heart, the mind, the ears, that they have gained understanding, Lord. And if there's anything that I have said in error, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you reveal it, that I may know, that I may repent of and stay in good standing with you. We pray for a special anointing upon the listeners, Lord, that you give them purpose to what you want them to do in their lives, that they've allowed themselves to be governed by you and that we may subdue our enemy, which are the world, the flesh and the devil, and that we grow strong in you, that we may be more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. We pray and we ask that all these things be done for your glory and honor. In Jesus' mighty, holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So tomorrow night's teaching, guys, at 7 p.m. is going to be called the Assyrian. We're going to get a lot of understanding on that. Who is the Assyrian? What does he represent? Why is he relevant today? That's what we're going to talk about. That's going to air at 7 p.m. Pacific time, 10 p.m. Eastern time. So I just want to say to people out there, uh, Minister Derek Hallett of Sound the Trumpet Ministries, soundthetrumpetministries.com. And I want to say to all those who were on tonight, uh, Sister Tatiana, Sister Sarah, Sister Gadagape, Brother uh, Gary, and Sister Heather, uh, Sister Tara, of course. Um, who else? Uh, Sister Shadante that was on tonight, Brother Jake. And if I missed anybody, guys, please forgive me, you know, but this is just all about us coming together in the spirit and desiring the things that the Lord Jesus Christ wants for his people. So I just wanna say I'm Minister Derek Hallett, I love you all. Until next time, guys, have a good night. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.